started on time this morning. They want us to be done by 10 uh, because of the people coming in. And so we're going to try to try to do that and make sure we're out of here by, by 10 o'clock so they can open the doors. If you got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Now, as many of you know, Corinthians is made up of 16 chapters, and we are 25% of the way done with it. And Paul has spent basically the first four chapters talking about one thing, and that is division in the church. That was the primary reason he wrote the letter, is because there's division in the church caused by pride. And so that shows you, if he spends a quarter of the letter dealing with that, it shows you how important that is. But today in chapter 5, everything is going to change. He's going to begin to deal with other things in the church. He's going to deal with sin in the church. He's going to deal with uh, some bad practices in the church. He's going to deal, we'll see next week, they've been exchanging letters, and they had some questions about how you're supposed to do church. And he's going to answer some of those questions. But today, he's going to deal with sin. And the subject that we're going to talk about today very well may be something that you guys have never heard. It's just not something that's taught a lot. It's not something that's dealt with a lot. And that subject is church discipline. Okay, We just don't talk about it a lot, but it is clearly laid out for us in Scripture. We won't get it all done today. Uh, it'll take at least uh, next week to cover uh, that subject, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty detailed subject, pretty, uh, something I think is, is very important. So let's look at verse 1, and verse 1 will tell us the situation that Paul is dealing with. So Paul says this in verse 1, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So this is going on in the church. So the situation in Corinth, in the church, according to Paul, is that there is a man in the church that is having sexual relations either with his mother or with his stepmother. You know, you can cover this verse and it gets everybody's attention, right? Well, yeah, let's see what's going on here. But it says a man has his father's wife. Now, we're not exactly sure which one it is. Uh, because the phrase in Greek, his father's wife, can mean both. It could mean his biological mother, or it could be his, um, uh, or his stepmother. Uh, it could be that his father is widowed and has uh, remarried. It could be that his father is divorced and remarried. It could be that his father is dead or his father is alive. We don't know any of those, those details. But Paul does not say that any of those details matter. In other words, none of those details would change or mitigate uh, the sinfulness of what is going on. Paul just says, this is a sexual immorality, and it's of a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. Now, this, that's something to say, because if you'll remember, Corinth is known for their promiscuity. In the ancient world, to play the Corinthian mean to be, mean, meant to be sexually promiscuous. I mean, that city would let anything go. But not that. But it's in the church. And Paul is, is going to deal with this particular thing. Now, keep in mind, this immorality is not some kind of one-night stand that it happened one time and the person was sorry for it. Paul says a man has his father's wife, not had. This is a sin that is ongoing. There's, there's no repentance. There's no change of heart. 
okay, which, is, which I think is, is very important to understand. Now, how the church responded to this in verse 2, Paul says, you are arrogant. Now, that word arrogant means, we all, know, we all know some, you know, I don't know if you know anybody that's arrogant, but we know what that word means. It means they're full of pride, they're, they're conceited, they're self-important, they're, they're superior. Now, these people were actually proud of the fact that, that, now, they weren't proud of what the man was doing. That's not what Paul's saying. They were proud that, what, that how they responded, they were proud that they did nothing about it. In other words, they actually felt superior to other churches because here they were, there's this sin going on in their church and they, weren't, they, they were letting it happen. And they felt proud of that. Now, can you imagine that for just one second? In fact, you might ask, what kind of off-the-wall theology would allow that type of reaction in a, in a church? Well, it's a theology that Paul has dealt with before. It's a theology that misunderstands grace. You see, the Bible comes along in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and says you are saved by grace, not by works. It is a free gift of God, lest any man should boast. So the Bible teaches us that salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't deserve it. It's just a free gift. And there's always been people from the very beginning that says, well, if, if it's a free gift and, and grace covers my sin then it doesn't really matter what we do. We're going to be saved anyway. See, that was a, a misunderstanding of grace. Paul dealt with this in Romans 6.1 when he was dealing with the Roman church. He said, man, the, the, the more sinful someone is, the more grace there is to cover it. And people actually would come along and say, well, maybe we should sin more so God's grace will, will flow more. I mean, it was that kind of understanding early on in the church. Now, you may say, well, there, that might have been then that people thought grace just covers everything and it really doesn't matter what we do. But nobody in our modern-day church feels that way, do they? Man, it's, it's everywhere. That theology is, is, is all, it's, it's all over the place. In fact, how many people do you know someone that hasn't darkened the door of a church in years and years and years but if you sat down with them in their living room, they would swear to you they're, they're a Christian. They'd swear to you they're going to heaven. You see, they think because they walked down an aisle or prayed a prayer 30 years ago that grace covers everything. It doesn't matter if I don't go to church. It doesn't matter if I've been married five times. It doesn't matter if the person I'm living with now is not my husband or not my wife. It doesn't matter if I cheat people. None of that matters because I prayed that prayer. See, that's the same theology that existed then 2,000 years later, is still prevalent in the world um, today. So Paul says, you're arrogant, okay? Now, how they should have responded, Paul says this in verse 2, Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. Paul says you should be heartbroken. You should be sorrowful. You should be grieving that this kind of thing is going on in the church, that this kind of thing is going on in your assembly. You should be mourning. And, and that word, by the way, that's the very word for humble. You should be in mourning. You should be humble by, by this thing that's going on. Now, I want you to stop right here for just a second, and I want you to look at the situation. Here's the situation. A church is tolerating sin. They got something bad going on, and they're letting it go. 
Paul writes Scripture, and Scripture diagnoses them and says, you're arrogant and you're proud, and the cure is you should be heartbroken. You should be sorrowful. You should be humble, but you're, but you're not. Okay, everybody with me? That's the diagnosis. Now, I think that diagnosis should stop and give us pause because it's exactly the opposite diagnosis of what you would hear today. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say that there's a church down the road, and there's not. I don't know anything. that I'm just making this up. But let's just say there's a church down the road, and someone in that church is involved in some kind of sexual sin. It could be the pastor. It could be a board member. It could be a Bible school teacher. It could be someone that sings up on the stage or works in the sound booth. It could be an usher. But they're involved in some kind of sin, and that church is doing absolutely nothing about it. They're just letting it go. That person just keeps doing the same thing. And the word gets out. It's all over the county. By the way, word always gets out. Do you understand in Corinth, Paul was hundreds if not thousands of miles away, and he heard about it. Paul wasn't at the church, right? Somebody wrote him a letter and said, you ain't going to believe what's going on in this church. The word always gets out. So let's say the word gets out in the county that this is going on. And one day I'm in Winn-Dixie, and now you know it's a made-up story because I never darken the doors of Winn-Dixie. But I'm in Winn-Dixie, and I look over, and I see somebody from that church that I happen to know, that I have a relationship with. So I, I walk over there, and I said, hey, man, I, I, I wonder if I can ask you a question. And he says, sure. I said, uh, I hear there's this thing going on in your church, that there's somebody involved in this sexual sin, and I hear y'all aren't doing anything about it. Will you tell me why? Why aren't you doing anything about it? Now, do you think his answer, now this is today's answer, do you think his answer would be, Derek, we're so proud. We're so proud of the way we're handling that. Grace is just, we're just letting grace cover all that sin, and y'all should handle that. Is that, do you think, what he'd say? What do you think his answer would be, the reason they're not doing anything? Don't you think his answer would be, who are we to point our finger? Who are we to cast the first stone? Who are we to judge? In other words, his diagnosis would be, we're too humble to do anything. We're just a humble people, saved by grace. Who are we to do anything about it? Do you all agree with me? That would, that would be our normal reaction. In fact... Can I tell you this? If you find a church nowadays that does follow through on discipline and does try to do something about it, more than likely they'll be labeled Pharisees. That, that in other words, if you dare to try to judge someone in the church, if you dare to try to do something about sin in the church, more than likely you'll be seen as proud and holier than thou for trying to, to do something. What I'm trying to get you to see here is our diagnosis is the exact opposite of what Paul said. You see, we tolerate sin in the modern church because we say we're humble, right? Paul says, no, if you tolerate sin, it's because you're arrogant and you're proud. You may call it humility in order to excuse yourself from not doing anything about it, but the fact is you're ignoring God's Word. You think you know better than Him how to deal with it, and that is the very definition of arrogance and pride. When the Bible says deal with something and you think, nah, I just don't think that's the right way to do it, that's arrogance. That's saying I know better than God how to do it. And that's what Paul is saying. God's Word outlines what you're supposed to do. 
you're not doing it, you think you know better than God, you can call it humility, but the fact is you're arrogant and you're proud. That's his diagnosis. You see, according to Scripture, church discipline comes out of people who are really broken, who are really sorrowful about sin, who are really humble about sin. It's humility that does the hard work. Arrogance and pride do, do absolutely nothing. Now, we're going to come back in just a minute to verses 3 through 5, but I want to jump ahead just a little bit to verses 6 through 7. If you've got your Bible, let's read that. Paul goes on to say this, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, this is kind of an odd thing, so I want to make sure to explain this. Here you got a church, you got this egregious sexual sin going on, the church is doing nothing about it, and all of a sudden Paul starts talking about leaven and lumps and Passovers. Now, what in the world is, is Paul talking about? Well, hopefully most of you know what Passover is. Passover is the Jewish festival that's celebrated every year. It's been celebrated for literally for over 3,000 years. And it celebrates the fact that God delivered the Israelites from captivity in Egypt under the leadership of, of Moses. And if you go back to read in the book of Exodus... And you go, we all know the story of Moses, that God sent ten plagues, right? Frogs and blood and, and locusts and all this stuff. The tenth plague was the angel of death or the death of the firstborn. If you remember the story, Paul, uh, 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 the Bible tells us that God says, I'm going to send the angel of death over the land. And the firstborn of everything is going to die. The firstborn of the sheep, the firstborn of the cattle, the firstborn of human beings. And he told the Israelites, what you need to do is I want every household to kill a lamb. And then you take the blood of that lamb and you put it over your doorpost. And during the night when the angel of death moves across the land, if it comes to your house and it sees the blood of the lamb, it will pass over your house. It will skip over you and your firstborn will live. And so that's why we call the festival... Passover, because the angel of death passed over the houses where the blood of the lamb was over the, the doorpost. And the story is told in the Bible that when the Pharaoh, shortly after this happened, he freed them. He said, get out of here. They had to leave so fast that they couldn't wait for their bread to rise. And so God, in Deuteronomy 16.3, and we won't read it this morning, but you can go back and read it, he instituted a festival or a uh, a commemoration, and every year you'll celebrate the Passover, and, and during that, the Passover celebration is seven days, and during that seven days you can't have any leaven in your house. So you have to get it, don't just not cook with it, get it out of your house completely. You have to be free of, of leaven during that seven days. So that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about leaven and Passover. But in the New Testament, leaven always refers to sin, always. Anytime you see the word leaven in the New Testament, it's referring to sin. Christ is now our Passover lamb, and our Passover celebration doesn't last seven days. It lasts what? It lasts a lifetime. You see, and now the leaven of sin is to be put out of our, not just out of our house for seven days, but it's to be put out of our life permanently. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
by no means, how can he who died to sin still live in it? We are to get rid of sin. See, when Paul says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, what he's saying, now listen to me closely, don't you know that a little sin infects the whole church? That's what he's saying to these people. Don't you know that leaven, that sin, is not just... See, we sit back and say, well, that's them. It only affects them. Paul says, that's ignorant. If you think that way, you're being ignorant. He says, don't you know that a little sin can infect everything? It infects the whole church. So he says this, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. What Paul is saying is get rid of sin from your life and from the church and be who you really are. You see, in Christ, you are set free from sin. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In Christ, you're no longer a slave of sin. You're a slave of righteousness. So he says get rid of sin and be who you really are. You really are free from sin. Act like it, both in your life and in the church. So that's what he's talking about, about leaven and sin and all that. Now, let's go back. Um, well, one more thing. So what you see here is the pride at Corinth was saying, because Christ has been sacrificed for our sins and, and great, we can just sin and grace will cover it. We don't have to do anything. And Paul is saying, no, folks, because Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for you, get the sin out of your house. Get the sin out of your life. Don't tolerate it. That's exactly what he's, what he's saying. You see, Christ didn't just die to pardon our sin. He died to purify us from sin. You see, the Corinthians wanted half of Jesus. Too many people today in America want half of Jesus. They want the half, the half of Jesus that'll save them, but they don't want the Jesus that'll purify them. But you can't cut him in half. It's, one, it's a package deal. When he saves, he purifies. And if you, don't, if you don't take the power of the Christ that purifies in your life, then I'm telling you there's going to come a day you won't have the power of Christ that pardons. Because you, he doesn't go halfway. You, it's, it's, it's both or it's none. So Paul says this in verse 8, Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Remember, our festival doesn't last seven days. It lasts a lifetime. So what he's saying there is live your life not with the old leaven, not with sin of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So in, in these verses, what Paul is saying is get the sin out of, your, out of your church. Get the sin out of your life. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, that brings us back to the subject at hand. What are we to do if there is sin in the church? What if there is leaven in the church? How are we to deal with it? Are we to do like the Corinthians and just say, nah, I'm just, we can't, you know, who are we to judge? You know, grace will cover that. God will deal with that. Paul says, no, you got to deal with it. It's your job to deal with it. So how are we supposed to do that? Well, now, Paul has already told them, this is what you're supposed to do. Let him who has done this be removed from you. That means get him out of the church, expel him, excommunicate him, whatever you want to call it. He needs to be out of the church because he's infecting the church. But he's going to say it more forcefully in verses 3 through 5. Let's read this. He said this, For though absent in body, remember Paul is not there, he's hundreds of miles away, he's in another country, he's writing a letter, and he says this, For though absent in body, 
I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled... What does that mean, by the way, when you are assembled? That means just what we're doing today. When you come together in church, when you all come together in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay? Now, we're not going to get to this today. We won't get to this to next week. And the reason for that is because before we can discuss that, packet, that passage and, and talk about what that means, what you need to understand is what Paul is asking them to do is the end of the process, not the beginning. Okay, let me explain what I mean by this. There's a show on TV called Intervention. How many of y'all, anybody have ever seen this, this show on TV? It's a show where there's always a, a man or a woman or a young person, old person, it doesn't matter, but there's always a person that's got some kind of drug and alcohol problem. And what they're doing is they're, they're doing, you see this, they come in and they do an intervention. But the intervention, do you understand the intervention is the, is the last thing? That, in other words, before they can get to that point, there's been years and years of people talking to them, people trying to get them to change, people rebuking them, admonishing them, giving them advice, and those people get worse and worse and worse and worse till finally there comes a day where this is the last resort. If we don't do something, they're going to die. And they come in and do an intervention because it's the last resort. Well, this is kind of similar here. The point is here is this is like an intervention. This is where you come in and it's gotten so bad that this person literally has to be put out of the church. But there, what I want you to see this morning is there's a lot of other steps that should have gone on and did go on uh, before this. In fact, there are very specific guidelines in the Bible that we are to follow before judging someone like that. Okay? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, these guidelines, thankfully, are given to us by Jesus himself. Not Paul, not Peter, not John, not Jesus himself gives us these guidelines. And he gives them to us in Matthew 18. Okay, verses 15 through 17. Let's read that. It says this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay? So what Jesus does is he gives us four steps of church discipline. Now, we will only get through two of them today because there's a lot of questions that have to be asked and answered. But he gives us four steps of church discipline. Let's go through them one by one. Number one, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. How? In private. And if he listens to you and he repents, he turns from his sin and turns back to God, then you have won your brother. So, so what Jesus says, if you know of somebody that's got sin in their life, okay, and we'll talk about a little bit later here what those sins are, go to them by yourself. In fact, notice Jesus says, show them. How do you show them? 
That's what I do with my Bible. It's around here somewhere. You, t- you open that Bible and you show them in the Word of God what, what, why they're doing is wrong. It's not your opinion. Nobody really cares what you think. It's about the Bible. What does the Bible say? Show them, according to Scripture, what they're doing wrong. If they listen to you and they repent, it's over. The process is done. Everybody with me? No need to go to step two or step three or step four. If they listen to you, it's done. Now, that sounds pretty simple, but there's some questions there that that we have to ask. For example, who is your brother? Okay, it says, if your brother sins. This is someone who says they are a Christian. You do not judge unbelievers. Look at verses, first, um, uh, in verses 12 through 13 of this same chapter. We'll talk about this next week. Paul says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. So first of all, we don't judge unbelievers. If you've got somebody outside the church that's an unbeliever, I don't care what sin they're in. You don't judge them. Your job for that person is to win them to Jesus. Everybody got that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Your job for an unbeliever is not to judge their sin. Your job to an unbeliever is to win them to Christ. Give them the truth. Give them the gospel. That's, that's all you're supposed to do. You don't judge those on the outside. But look what it says. Those on the inside, he says, you are to judge. Okay? So this is somebody who calls themselves a Christian. They profess to be a Christian. This person must associate with your church. In other words, it's not my job to discipline somebody in another church. Crawfordville First or Sopchoppy Southern or whatever, that's not my job. They got their own church. They're supposed to deal with their own situation. Our job is to deal with stuff at River of Life. If someone is a member of this church, then we, they are subject to discipline. And let me say this, especially if this person is involved in some type of ministry. If they're a Bible study teacher, like me, if they're an usher, if they're singing on the stage. In other words, if you're standing up in some way and you're the face of the church, people see you, then even more so, you should be subject to, to discipline. Okay, And so they have to be not only a professing Christian, they also have to associate with the church. Now this is very important. The person must be knowingly rebellious and disobedient. Okay, Do you understand sometimes a new believer can be in sin and they don't even know what they're doing? Everybody, we, we have people coming into this church now that they don't know, they, did, they weren't raised in church. They don't know the Bible. They don't know what it says and they get saved and sometimes they'll go back out and keep doing some of the same things because they don't know it's wrong. They don't know what the scripture says. And see, at that point, we shouldn't... Con- they're not rebellious. They're not knowingly disobedient. They don't need to be rebuked. They need to be helped. Everybody with me? That, that's, that's incredibly important. But if after you go to somebody and you say, look, what you're doing is against what God's Word says, after they know what the Word says and they continue to do it, they become rebellious and defiant, then they should be admonished. Okay? Now... 
you know, I was thinking when I'm doing this, it's, it's a lot like raising children, right? If you have a two-year-old, my little granddaughter, I was thinking about that this week, Ella Kate, she, when she started eating in her high chair, you know, when they're six months, seven months, whatever, you put them in there, and they take that food, and they just, they just drop it, right? When they get tired of eating, they start playing. And when they first do it, you laugh. Ha, 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 that's funny. You're so cute. And then after a few little bit of time, you start saying what? No. No. And you're not, too, you're not too harsh about it because you know it takes time to learn. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when they know they're not supposed to do it, and they'll look you in the face and they'll drop it. Do they not? See, there's a big difference between the way you deal with an eight-month-old, the way you deal with a two-year-old. You take a two-year-old that's being unruly, and you begin to train them and show them the right way to do things. But then when they get a little older, you better deal with that differently. See, it's the same thing in the, in the body of Christ. We have to be able to have enough discernment to know, is that person a two-year-old or are they a 20-year-old? How do we deal with that person? Okay? One of the things you'll see about church discipline is it's not, it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, it's what I call guidelines. It's very broad. It depends a lot on you and me to figure out what's going on. You see, we need discernment. We need a disciple relationship. Look at this scripture right here. This is an awesome scripture. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers and sisters. Who is he urging? Everybody in the church. Brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. You see, what he's telling me is, Derek, it's up to you to figure out, is that person weak or are they unruly? Everybody with me? You see, well, I can have one person. I used to have a, a, a young person in my youth group that lied, lied, lied. That boy lied more than anybody I've ever seen. Constantly lying. But what I got, as I began, got to know him, he wasn't, being, uh, he wasn't being unruly or disobedient. He had some real problems. Everybody with me? He had some self-esteem problems. He had some emotional issues. He lied, not because he was just being disobedient and unruly. He was lied just because he had some problems down deep. He didn't need to be rebuked. He needed to be encouraged. He needed to be... Everybody with me? And this is incredibly important because when we talk about church discipline, it, it, you know, most people immediately just recoil from that. But what you have to understand, when church discipline is done correctly, it's because you've got strong men and women of God in a body that are spiritual parents that can look at kids, look at young Christians and say, that person's being unruly. They need to be rebuked. But that person over there, they're just weak. They need to be encouraged. And notice what it says on the end there. Be patient with what? Everyone, even the disobedient, even the unruly. Be patient with them. Okay, don't rush to judgment. Don't try to, you know, well, you know, just be patient with everyone. Now, what are the sins that should be judged? Now, it would be very nice if there was just this list. If they do this, do that. If they do this, it doesn't work that way. Okay, let me give you a couple of guidelines on this. You don't discipline someone for areas on which the Bible has no clear commandments. We don't make up our own rules. We don't discipline people for their dress being too long or too short or their hair being too long or too short or because they go, one person dances and another. There are no clear commandments on that in the Bible. We don't, that's none of our business. I stay out of that. 
Each person should be convinced in their own mind. We are not at liberty to make up our own rules. We talked about that two weeks ago, right? Paul said, don't go beyond, when you judge, don't go beyond what is written. In other words, if it's a clear command in Scripture, then we are to follow that command. If it's not a clear command, we don't, we don't discipline for that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Drinking alcohol is not grounds for discipline. Drunkenness is. Okay, there's a real easy one there. See, if I go over to, a, let's say I go over to one of my, somebody's house, maybe it's a fellow board member, and they have a glass of wine, okay? There's nothing in the Bible that says, there's not a clear command in Bible that says you can't have a glass of wine. You won't find it anywhere. Now, I think it's one of those situations where everyone should be convinced in their own mind. I'm convinced in my own mind what I'm to do. If you want to know what I do, you can come and I'll tell you exactly why I do it. But that's for me. Okay? So when it comes to drinking a glass of wine or something like that, that's not subject for discipline. Drunkenness is. Why? Because the Bible says, don't be drunk. Go look at works of the flesh or drunkenness. You don't be drunk. If, you, if, you, if someone in this church is getting drunk, and they're a member of this church, right? They confess to be a Christian, then, then somebody should go to them and say, look, this is what the Bible says. You can't do this. You need to stop doing that. Everybody with me? That's a very clear command. I'll give you another one. Watching movies. Everybody in here watches probably some kind of movie. Some of you may only watch G movies. Some of you will say, well, I'll do a PG. Somebody might say, well, I'll do a PG-13. Some of you may watch R. The point is, none of that's grounds for discipline. You be convinced in your own mind what you're supposed to do when it comes to watching a movie. That's not grounds for discipline. Watching pornography is grounds for discipline. Why? Because the Bible says if a man looks to lust after a woman in his mind, he's already committed adultery with her. Don't do that. Watching pornography, that's exactly what that's about. If we were to find out some way, somehow, that there was a member in their church, that, then somebody should go to that person and say, here's why you don't do it. Everybody with me? You don't make up your own rules. You don't come up with your own guidelines. The Bible's very clear. Don't go beyond what is written. If there's clear commands in Scripture, then someone would be subject to discipline. Very broadly speaking, this is very broad, okay, there are really two categories of serious sin for discipline. The first one is this. If there's someone in the church that is choosing to live as the world does. Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5. We'll talk about this next week. Paul says this. You must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but they are sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. In other words, you got somebody in your church that says, I'm a Christian, but yet they get drunk, they cheat people, they're greedy. Everybody see that? They, 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 they haven't changed. They live exactly like the world does. Paul says you need to deal with that person because they're infecting the whole church. Okay, So that's, a, that's one very broad. When you have a, people that are sinning in a way that the world does, they're choosing to live the way the world does. Uh, Gordon Fee says this, and I really like this. He says, Paul is not advocating that only the sinless can be members of the Christian community. Rather, he is concerned about those who persist in the very activities from which they have been freed through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. 
You see, that's what he's saying. Paul, none of us are sinless. That's not what we're talking about. But when you got somebody that keeps doing the very same things they should have been freed from through the sacrifice of Jesus, there's a problem, and that problem needs to be addressed. The second broad, very broad area of sin that has to be dealt with is causing division and spreading false teaching. This is always dealt with. Romans 16, 17, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Stay away from them. Okay? Titus 3.10, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Okay? You, you are to stay away from people who cause division and people who teach false doctrine. Those are two things that there is no question about. Have to, be, have to be dealt with. Think of the church for just a minute, if this helps you, like a human body. Which, by the way, Paul says we are a body. One person might be the finger, some person might be the ear, some one person might be the toe. Paul uses this exact analogy. If you've got a cut finger, or you've got a broken arm, do you cut it off? Do you get rid of it? No. What do you do? You, you, you nurture it, you help heal it, you encourage it, you, you, you kind of wrap it up and let it rest. You do anything you can to get it back where it needs to be. But if you got cancer or you got gangrene, what do you do? You get it out. You, you get rid of it. You see, there are certain things that go on in a church. There may be somebody over here that's in sin, but they need to be nurtured. They need to be encouraged. They need to be healed. But then there may be cases where you got somebody and you need to say, we got to get rid of you because it is so bad that it's infected. By the way, if you don't do it with cancer or you don't do it with gangrene, what does it do? It spreads, affects the whole body. See, as, as leaders and elders of our church, that's one of our jobs is to be able to know, is that an infectious thing that's going to spread? Does it have to be dealt with? This is, this is a big deal, folks, an incredibly big deal, all right? Um, who should go? A couple other questions. i got about seven minutes, so i got to hurry. Who should go to their brother or sister? Should this be Pastor Henry? Should this be the elders? No, it can be anybody. Now, I put any Christian who is qualified, because obviously if, if, if somebody comes down and gets saved today, I wouldn't think they're qualified tomorrow to go to somebody, would you? Okay, look at uh, Romans 15, 14, what he says. And concerning you, my brothers, he's talking about the whole church, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. In other words, filled with goodness, you've got the fruits of the Spirit are working in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. If those things are working with you and you're filled with the knowledge of God, you know the Scripture then the Bible says you are able to admonish another Christian. You're able to go to them. Everybody with me? So this isn't Henry's job. It isn't my job. It's everybody's job to go to them privately. Could you ask someone else to do it? Yes, you could. There may be cases, in fact, where let's say you're a woman and the situation you know about is a man and you may think, well, I, and I don't feel comfortable going to that person alone then it's, it's, it's perfectly okay for you to go to that person, I mean, for you to find somebody else to go. But if there's not a legitimate reason, I'd have to ask, why are you wanting somebody else to do it? Why don't you do it? Because it's your job. 
It's your responsibility. Don't slough it off on, on somebody else. How many times do we go to them? The Bible doesn't say. It just says go to them in private. You can go as many times as you feel necessary. Okay? In fact, remember what Paul said? Be patient with everyone. Maybe I go to somebody and a month later I call them up and say, Hey, man, I was just, you know, I noticed nothing's really changed. Have you thought about what we said? Go to them again. Maybe you go to them. The, do you go to them three times or four times or five times? Sure. Do you go a hundred? Probably not, do you? Okay. Um, step two, verse, it says, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. After you've gone to that person several times, nothing has changed. The Bible says, take two or three with you. Okay? These may be others who know of the problem. It may include church leaders. Listen, if I had gone to somebody three or four times and they don't listen, and then one day I knock on their door and they open the door and Pastor Henry and Chuck are standing there with me, what do you think goes through their mind? They're like, uh-oh, this ain't going away. They're taking this pretty seriously. That's exactly what it is. What it does, it strengthens the reproof. It, it makes them realize, look, you got a serious situation here. Don't we do this with our children sometimes? You know, we go to them, go to them, go to them, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, let's, let's raise the stakes here. You don't, maybe you're not getting what I'm saying. That's exactly what we do here. Once again, we show them according to Scripture what they're doing is wrong. If they listen and repent, it's done. No need to go any further. You've won your brother or sister back. How many times should we go? Again, Scripture doesn't say uh, we are to use our wisdom and our discernment. Now, we're going to stop here and pick up next week, but I want to address a couple of things. I want you to understand that church discipline is the very opposite of a rush to judgment. Okay? Removing someone from the church like Paul is doing is the very last thing we want to happen. You want these things to be handled quietly and privately, and thankfully that is exactly how Scripture says you are to handle. Go to them privately. Go to them quietly. Be patient with them. We're not rushing to some kind of judgment. We are to bend over backwards to give them every opportunity to deal with the issue. But in the end, you cannot tolerate sin in the church. You just cannot do it. It's exactly like having cancer or gangrene in the body. If you just let it go and let it go and let it go, it's going to kill you, and it will do the same thing there. You might say to me this morning, well, Derek, there's nothing in me that wants to do that. There's nothing in me that wants to go to someone and admonish them for being a sin, you know, for their sin. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. If you wanted to do it, there's probably something wrong with you. We agree? If you wanted to do that, I'd say you probably got all the wrong motives and all the wrong reasons. You may say, finally, I wish it was more cut and dried. I wish there was like a list of sins or a list of specific situations. It would be a lot easier, and I can say the same thing, me too. I wish it was cut and tried, but it's not. We are to use our discernment, and just because it's hard doesn't mean we can abrogate the responsibility. Last thing, you may say to me, well, Derek, I see that in the Bible, but I don't think we should do it here. It's too risky, it's too painful. If we do it, people might leave the church. Somebody else might not come to our church. It might have worked in Corinth, but it won't work in the modern church. I want to tell you one last thing. Be very very careful when you start to think like that, okay? 
Here's why. Customs change. Cultures change. But God's Word does not change. His principles do not change. And when you begin to think like that, that you're, you're just like the Corinthian church. You're saying, I know better than God. And when you say that, the Bible says that's the very definition of arrogance and pride. Okay? Next week, we'll pick this up with part two. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians 5. We know it's a difficult subject, but Lord, uh, we believe in your word. We stand on your word. And even when your word is hard, we want to listen to it and submit to it and obey it. We just pray for our service today. We pray for Pastor Henry. We pray for everyone here that you would soften hearts, God, that they would listen to what has to be said and they would know your son the way I do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.